hear from a great man of God tonight, my oldest grandson, Simon McDonald. Make him welcome here in Bethlehem. It's an honor to have you, Simon. Would you clap your hands to the Lord that's worthy tonight? It's so wonderful to be in Potts Camp at Christmas time, to be with all of my family, all of my friends. I echo what my dad said. This really feels like a second home, really feels like a second family. I'm so happy to be here tonight. Um, thank you, Granddaddy, for those kind words. I want to, I want to make sure I honor the leadership of this church um, because you guys are absolutely blessed. Uh, starting with Pastor Vasquez. As, as my dad said on Sunday, he's a preacher of preachers. And I've been blessed on more than one occasion listening to a message that he's preached. I have to say the secret's out. I have the Bethlehem Church app. And I listen to all services, and man, it's such a blessing. I give Pastor Vasquez high honor today. He's a wonderful man of God. And then I want to return honor to Bishop Wilson, to Granddaddy. What a man of God. <laughs> Truly one of my heroes, one of the men I respect most in the world, and I'm so thankful for the godly heritage that I've been given and that has been passed down. Amen. And I have to honor my pastor that's here, my dad. Dad, we love you today. I give you great honor. I feel like the most blessed man in the world to have the dad and the grandparents, the mom, the grandma that I have. I'm truly blessed, and I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful that you are all here tonight, and I'm honored to stand behind this pulpit I do not claim to be the greatest preacher in the world. I do not claim to be a better preacher than any of the other preachers that preach here on a regular basis. But I have prayed and I do feel like the Lord has laid something on my heart. And if you'll receive it, I'd like to share that with you today. I have one verse of scripture as we start, if I can turn your attention to Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 25. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 25 reads, and it says, The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. I'd like to preach for just a few moments tonight on the topic, when Christmas is over, when Christmas is over. You may be seated tonight. There's a lot of excitement that leads coming up to Christmas. I can certainly remember as a kid nearly being eaten up by my excitement for Christmas Day. It seems like most years it comes about as I'm passing through town and all of a sudden I start seeing Christmas lights up on houses. Or maybe I walk into a store and all of a sudden I hear somebody singing, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And all of a sudden I realize that the Christmas season is upon us again, and it certainly is an exciting time. I can say that this year, 
more than almost any year in the recent memory, I was so excited to get to come to Grandma and Granddaddy's house for Christmas because I know what that entails. If you know Sister Pat Wilson, you know that she's a wonderful cook. And over the past few days, we've probably been borderline sinful with the amount of food that we've eaten. If I was ever guilty of gluttony, it was this week. And so we've had a wonderful time, though, and in anticipation of that, the excitement built up for that. Christmas time is a wonderful time when diets are forgotten, when calories are justified by the workout plan that you're definitely going to start on January 1st. And so Christmas time is always something that we look forward to. And when Christmas finally comes, it's something that is very joyful. It's something that is very magical. Um, especially being with family, especially being with young kids. Having Sister Zuri here this week has been such a wonderful and exciting thing as she is nearly hopping around the house excited for Christmas morning. But Christmas, if I can make this point, is an exciting time. And the first Christmas, the Christmas that started the meaning of Christmas, the Christmas that we always want to remember and not just think about presents, the first Christmas was an exciting time. And the lead up to the first Christmas was even greater than what we have to look forward to in our time. Because the first Christmas was about the coming Messiah. The first Christmas was about the hope of Israel being fulfilled. It wasn't just something that they'd waited 364 days for. But this was something that had been prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of years. And this wasn't just about presents and things that we would receive, but this was about the hope and promises and plan of God. And I know that first Christmas was an exciting time. It wasn't just Christmas music that cued them in that it was Christmas time in that first Christmas, but it was the angels that appeared to Mary and Joseph. And the first Christmas lights, if you could say, was the star that shone above Bethlehem that let them know that something special was beginning to occur. And when that Christmas finally came, to continue the parallel, it was a joyful day as the shepherds and the wise men gathered around that stable to celebrate the birth of our Lord. It was an insignificant place, seemingly filled with insignificant people. But all that were there could see that this baby, this birth, was something very significant. However, with all of the excitement that has to do with Christmas, with how wonderful it is, the worst thing about Christmas is that it doesn't last forever. The worst thing about Christmas is, in just a few days, I have to go home. The worst thing about Christmas is, no matter how wonderful it is, the magic leaves for after a little while, and you have to go back to normal life. And today, I would like to make a parallel with that first Christmas. I would like to reference that story. And I'm sure that the Christmas that they experienced with the birth of Jesus Christ was an exciting time. And I'm sure that they enjoyed it. I'm sure that it was joyful. I'm sure that it was hopeful. But I also know that they didn't see the fulfillment of the promise that God had for them immediately. Even though they had this great promise of what God would through, do through this baby, they didn't see that promise come to pass in just a few days. They didn't see that promise come to pass in just a few weeks, but they had to wait for the promise of God. 
And so in this first Christmas, as God's gift to mankind came in Jesus Christ, eventually the excitement faded. Eventually life became normal. And for Mary and Joseph, they had to face the test of time. They had to face the test of what happens when Christmas is over. I want to draw your attention that they had to make a difficult choice. They had to go through a difficult season. They had to endure difficult circumstances as they persevered in faith of their promise. It leads us to the question, what do we do when Christmas is over in our lives? So many of us have received a promise from God. I would imagine every person in this house has a word from God or something that the Lord has impressed upon your heart that you're still waiting to see come to pass, that you're still believing for, that you're still praying for. But long after the initial excitement fades, we have to go through a season of testing. We have to go through a season of waiting, and that's what I want to talk about tonight. Mary and Joseph, I'm sure, were full of great faith after seeing an angel and after seeing the miraculous events that guided everyone to Jesus' birth. But they didn't see it come to pass. And maybe when Jesus was a very young kid, maybe when he was two and three and four and five, it was easy for them to rationalize why they weren't seeing everything that God had promised yet. It made sense to them why they couldn't see it yet. But what about when he was 15? What about when he was 20? What about when he was 25? And he's a full-grown man, and it's seemingly nothing of that promise has come to pass yet. Seemingly, they're just living a normal, ordinary life. Seemingly, this miraculous child, Jesus, is just another man, is just another carpenter's son. They had to face the ordinary ordinary facts of life as they tried to grapple with the promises of God. They had to deal with seeing the Savior of the world as a full-grown man working as a carpenter. So they had to answer the question, what do you do when your promise doesn't unfold like you expected? When you received your promise, your word from God, maybe it was something that you'd, you'd been wanting from God. Maybe it was a promise that you'd been looking for. Maybe it was something that you'd been waiting for. And I'm sure it felt a little bit like Christmas when you received that promise. But just like Mary and Joseph watched the days pass, when we see time pass and we don't see the fulfillment yet, our faith can wane. We can find ourselves asking the Lord, where you at, God? What about all those things that you said? What about those things that I felt in prayer? When we face those questions, when the excitement is over, when the angels are silent and the stars are not shining, when the wise men and the shepherds are nowhere to be found, when your heavenly promise just looks like ordinary life, that's when our faith is really tested. That's when we have to choose to trust in God. And I'm not preaching here today because I believe any of you have lost faith. I'm not preaching here today because I believe any of you have given up on the promises of God. But I'm preaching here today because I want to encourage somebody in this season. Whatever you're waiting for, our God is able. Whatever you're praying for, our God is able. Whatever you're needing from God, whatever you're believing God for, I want you to know and God wants you to know that he's a promise keeper. 
You just keep hold of your faith. You just stand upon the word of God. Stand upon the promises of God. And you'll see that he will not fail you. I don't know everything about each person in this church. I don't know everything that you've gone through. I don't know all the circumstances of your life. I don't know if your promise came as a preacher preached over the pulpit. I don't know if your promise came in a closet of prayer. I don't know if your promise is about your family. I don't know if your promise is about this church. I don't know if your promise is about deliverance or healing or blessing or salvation for someone that's just close to you. But I do know that God keeps his promises. I do know that he's not a man that he should lie. I do know that he hasn't promised something that he can't deliver. I do know that he'll never go back on his word. I do know that he's a faithful God. I do know that he never fails. I do know that he always comes through right on time. I do know that he's a God that answers prayer. I do know that he's a God that has promises over this area. I do know that he's a God that's going to pour out his spirit in this last day. I do know that he which hath begun a good work is able also to complete it in your life. I want to encourage someone who's still waiting. I want to encourage someone who's still believing. I want to encourage someone who's standing on the promises of God today. He keeps his promises. He never fails. His word never returns void. But our God is a promise keeper. And he's going to make the way in your situation. He's going to make the way in your family. He's going to make the way in your school. He's going to make the way for your job. He's going to make the way in Potts Camp, Mississippi. Because he's a God that keeps his promises. Thank you, Jesus. Would you thank the Lord for his promises that he's given to us? good God. Amen. The Bible given for our example is full of people who have endured waiting seasons for their promises. Chuck Wagner had a great quote when he said, he who waits on God never waits too long. And we see in scripture one of the greatest examples of, of somebody that waited faithfully for the promises of God the father of faith, Abraham. We know that Abraham received a promise from God, but for years, it seemed like nothing had come about from that promise. Abraham received an amazing promise from God, something that was certainly exciting, but he went through a time in which it seemed like that promise produced no results in his life. The Bible tells us that he was 75 when he received the promise that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him and his seed would be multiplied. But as we know, at that time, he had no children. He had no son. He had no one to fulfill this promise. But scripture tells us in Genesis and 20, 21 verse 5 that Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. That means for 25 years, he waited for the promise of God. That means for 25 years, he had to get up each day and stand upon the promises of God. That means for 25 years, he had to be faithful for the one word of God which he'd received. 
Romans chapter 4 and verse 20 provides us a description of the wonderful testimony that Abraham has of his season of waiting. And it says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. I want you to know today that in your situation of waiting, in your season of waiting, whatever that looks like, when you stand in your season that doesn't look like what God has promised yet, but you stand strong in faith, that gives God great glory. That makes God look so good. That's the greatest praise you could give God is that when your circumstances don't look right, you say, you know what, Lord, I trust you anyways. You know what, Lord, I believe you anyways. When we stagger not at the promises of God, that gives God great glory. Verse 21 says Abraham was fully persuaded that that what he what he had promised he was able also to perform and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. God is looking for people who will trust him. God doesn't require much of us except that we would respond to him in faith. God just asked that we would believe his word and obey it. God just asked that we respond to him and believe his promises. And when we do that, he counts that as righteousness in our lives. But Abraham is far from the only example in scripture. We know that Noah waited 120 years for rain to come. We know that Joseph waited 13 years in slavery and in prison to see the promise of God in his life. We know that Moses waited 40 years on the backside of the desert to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. We know that David waited about 15 years after he was anointed to be king before he ever actually touched the throne. And just like God kept his promises for them, we have confidence today that he'll keep his promises in our life. We know that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know that God's not getting any weaker. God's not falling behind on his schedule. But God is the same today as he was in the Bible. The same miracle working power that came through in their stories is the same power that's going to come through in your story. The same power that touched their family, that saved their family, is the same power that's going to save your family. We have confidence today that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I have three, three points, if you will, about what promises of God are like. The first one, if you'll allow me to digress, is this. Parents and kids and grandparents alike know what the worst words to hear on Christmas are. The worst words you can hear at Christmas are batteries not included. There have been many a Christmas mornings that have been ruined by the lack of batteries and all of a sudden that new toy car or whatever it might be is completely useless and Christmas what you've been waiting for is ruined because you don't have batteries. Fortunately, living with Brother Steve Wilson, he's got enough batteries to cover everybody. He's prepared, he's stocked up. But there have been many times when you're pulling batteries out of old toys and asking dad, do we really need batteries in the smoke alarm? Can we just make it work so I can start my new car? But if I could make kind of a leap to contrast, God's word doesn't need batteries. God's word doesn't need any outside power. God's word doesn't need any emotion to let it be true. 
God's word doesn't need any special feeling to let it be true. But God's word is just true. God's word is just faithful. God's word is just powerful. Even when the circumstances don't look like it, even when the situation doesn't support it, God's word is going to be true. God's word is going to be successful. God's word is going to bring forth results because it doesn't need batteries. It's just powerful. It's just powerful all by itself. If I could reference uh, uh, a quote from our music director, something he said one time that made me laugh, but it's true. He said, God don't need no matches. He's fire by himself. Our God doesn't need anybody else's help to do what he promised he's going to do. But he has all the power that he needs. He has all the fire that he needs. He has all the electricity that he needs. He's a mighty God, and his word will come true. We thank him for it. We know Psalms 119 and 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. His word is settled and it will come to pass. The second point I want to make about what the promises of God are like is it's so easy to settle when we've been waiting. When we go through different seasons in life and whatever it may be, when we're waiting, sometimes we're tempted to settle for something that's second best. Sometimes we're tempted to settle for something that is good enough. And maybe we're tempted to do that with the promises of God sometimes. When we've been waiting and we've been standing on the promises of God, when we've been praying, sometimes we're tempted in our flesh to scale back what we're asking God for. We're tempted to, to reduce what we're believing God for because it just doesn't feel like it's even possible anymore. And if you don't mind a personal example, I work for an insulation company. And if you run a company or if you work with people, you know that one of the most tricky parts of a business is collecting payment for work that's been completed. It's something that is always difficult and you do everything you can to do it right, but Sometimes there's some people who just don't want to pay. And at our company, we've had some customers who, who would maybe pay just a small portion of their bill or they would, they would not want to pay at all. You know, often they have good excuses seemingly of things. Maybe the project went backwards or they fell on hard times. And it leads us to a place where sometimes we have to just settle for whatever we can get and just cut our losses and move on. Sometimes with people, even though they, they promised they would pay the full amount, we just have to settle for less because that's all that's going to come. They're not going to pay anymore. But with God, he's never like that. With God, we'd never have to settle. And what I believe God wants you to know today is that don't you ever back down from what God has promised you. Don't you ever scale down God's promises for your life. Don't allow the enemy to whisper and to get you to reduce what you're believing God for. Because he can back up his word. He can back up his promises. He can do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And whatever he promised you today, whatever you're waiting on today, he's able to give you the full amount. He's able to give you the first rate. He's able to give you everything that you're desiring from him because he's a God that is able. Even when we think we need to settle, even when it seems rational that we should ask God for less, he gave us an incredible promise in Isaiah chapter 55, starting in verse 8. 
He said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the either. In the same way, so shall my word that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. When God speaks a word, it's never going to come back void. It's never going to come up short. It's never going to fall to the ground. It's never going to be late, but it's always going to be exactly what he promised. It's always going to be exactly on time because he's a God that can back up his promises. You don't have to settle today because you serve a God that will perform what he promised. The third point I want to make, I want to turn back to the life of Moses, the example that he gives us. Moses wanted to see his fellow brethren delivered from the oppression that they'd lived in. He wanted to see them escape the bondage that had been over them for many, many years. But we know that when he tried to bring it about in his own power, he ended up making things much worse. He killed the Egyptian, and eventually he fled into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he spent 40 years. He spent 40 years waiting on what he felt like God wanted him to do. But we also know that in Acts chapter 7 and verse 30, the scripture tells us, when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. And at the end of these 40 years, God began to do something spectacular. At the end of these 40 years, God began to move in Moses' life again. When I'm sure many people would have given up after such a long period, God began to move. And we understand that none of this was on accident. We understand that none of this was God running behind schedule. But Exodus chapter 12 and verse 41 tells us, it came to pass at the end of 430 years, even the self-same day it came to pass, that all the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. You see, everything that happened in this story was a part of the plan of God. Everything that occurred along the way was factored into what God was doing. And in reality, when Moses thought he was wasting time in the wilderness, when Moses felt like he'd failed and pulled himself out of the will of God, when Moses felt like he disqualified himself from being used of God, all along God had an appointed time. All along, God had a date set on the calendar that he was getting ready to move. And I want you to know today that God isn't just waiting for the right circumstances. God isn't just waiting for permission from someone. You're not missing the will of God. But God has a date set on his calendar. God has a date prepared. And he's looking forward to it. He's preparing for it. Every day that goes by is not just a day that's lost, but it's a day closer to the promises of God. Every day that goes by is not a day when you're seeing nothing. It's a day you're stepping closer to the fulfillment of what God has promised because it's an appointed time that God begins to move. It's an appointed time that God begins to fulfill his promises, and God's going to do that in your life. We know it happened for Mary and Joseph. 
with all of their waiting and all of their time, we know that the, the ministry of Jesus, the promises that God had given them, did come to pass at the time it was supposed to. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, Jesus had just come out of the wilderness himself. And he arose in the synagogue to read the word of the Lord. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And skipping to verse 21, he says, and this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. This day was the appointed day that Mary and Joseph and Jesus had been waiting on for 30 years. This day was the day that they'd been praying for and believing for because there was an appointed day that God was leading them to. And I believe God wants each of you to know today that he has the date set on heaven's calendar. He has it marked. He has it circled. He has it prepared. And every promise that he He's given you is not just floating. Every promise that he's given you is not just sitting on heaven's shelf somewhere, but there's an appointed time for God's fulfillment. Amen. We thank the Lord. If you would stand with me, I'm closing here shortly. If the musicians want to come. We've talked today about the promises of God. We've talked today about waiting. And if we were to start back at the beginning and try and answer Mary and Joseph's question. What to do when Christmas is over? What to do when the excitement fades? What to do when it just doesn't feel like God is doing what he said he was gonna do? The answer that I would give to Mary and Joseph is that when Christmas is over, just have faith that Easter is still on the way. There's still going to be a Calvary's cross. There's still going to be a grave that he rises from. The promise is still going to come to pass just like he said it would. So we can have faith today in all of our waiting seasons. We can have faith today every time the circumstances don't line up. That everything God has promised us, everything God has spoken, everything he's spoken to you, everything you've prayed for and cried for and, and interceded for in your closet of prayer, God is able to do it and God will do it. And he's just bringing it to pass as we walk with him. So, so tonight as we, as we come to the altar, I want to draw our example from the heroes of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, the example they gave us as they waited for the promise, it says, having seen them afar off, they were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. What does God ask of us in our season of waiting? He asks us not to lose faith in what he's spoken. He asks us not to just hear the promises of God, but to embrace them to make them personal, to fall in love with them, to grip them and never let go. And he asks us, and I think this is a key tonight, he asks us to confess them. He asks us to speak them. So tonight, I would imagine each person, you have something that you want God to do. You have something that you're praying for. You have something that you're waiting for. So tonight, as we come to this altar, why don't we all just claim those promises of God why don't we all just release our faith and remind God and remind hell that we still believe in what God spoke 
Why don't we just remind the devil that we're never going to back down. We're never going to give up. We're never going to let go of what God spoke to us. But tonight, if you would just lift your faith to the King of Kings, to the one who's able, and lay hold of those promises once again. Put your faith in those promises once again. Put your faith in his word again, because it will never fail. It'll never return void. It'll never let you down. God, would you help us today? Every promise that you've given us, every word you've spoken, God, we stand upon it. We claim it today, God. You said not one word would fall to the ground. So, Lord, we come to you. We ask you, Lord. We want to remind you again. We want to send up our prayers as a memorial again, God. We're claiming those promises. We're still believing for those promises. We're still standing on those promises, God. Lord, we thank you for every word you've spoken. We thank you, Lord, for everything you've promised us today.
why don't you look at somebody and say, he's not only able, but he's working on it right now. Tell somebody, he's not only able, but he's working on it right now. Why don't you look at him again and say, your problem has an expiration date. God's got it lined out for you. Tell them, tell them, God's got it lined out for you. Ah, uh, yes. We're going to wait till the promise arrives, till we accept the results of the promise, aren't we? We're going to hold on until the end. Can you say amen to this good word of God tonight? Give Brother Simon McDonald a good hand. Awesome preaching. Awesome word. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Don't forget Sunday morning. And Sunday night again, of course, Brother Tim Green is supposed to be here to preach for us. So be here. Bring somebody with you if you can. See what God will do to touch their lives, touch their minds. You're dismissed in Jesus.